We're in part two of standing strong. Well, by the way, I just want to say something, which has impressed me deeply this week again. The very next item in God's calendar is the rapture. The very next red letter item on God's calendar is the rapture. That means when he comes back. You can read about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse about 12 onwards. You should check that out so you know what's coming. You look in your Outlook calendar to see what's coming next week. Check out what's on God's calendar. That will get some sharp focus on how to live your life. So, if you'd like to take out your message notes, we're in part two of Standing Strong. And it, I've subtitled it, Thriving No Matter What They Throw At You. Doesn't matter what they throw at you, how to survive and thrive no matter what they throw at you. Now, last week, I gave you a bit of an introduction into the book of Daniel, just a very brief overview. And the book of Daniel has more intrigue, more suspense, more drama, more death threats, and raw courage that played out in real life than most of the fictional lives we see on many movies. You see, the feared leader, Nebuchadnezzar, had attacked Jerusalem. You can go read about that, you historian buffs. In September, we know exactly the, uh, when this happened, September of 605 BC. And after a victory, the victor usually took the most talented and useful people from the people he just conquered, and he took them home, back to home base. Now, what that did is it left the poorer people behind to take whatever land they wanted because the educated and the rich had been taken off to the new land. And they could then use that land for whatever they needed. Now, that was quite smart on the conqueror's behalf because it fostered loyalty from the conquered lands and ensured the steady supply of smart and talented people for civil service. Now, this young man, Daniel, was 15 years old. 15, remember that? 15. And he and his three friends, best known by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were exiled to the cultural center of the day, the epicenter of pagan worship. It's called Babylon. It's a POW. And this is no easy street. This wasn't kind of like my kids. Oh, Dad, I've got to get on a plane with my two kids. Now, that's not, you imagine, one of them is quite energetic, you know, and screaming all the way. No, she didn't do that. But, you know, and I'm getting food served to me. No, no, no. This is much tougher. These guys, these young men and women, stood strong as they took a 500-mile or 800-kilometer trek. Can you just pop up the map, Chris? Thanks, mate. An 800-kilometer trek under harsh, hot conditions from Israel, which is down here near Jerusalem, all up near Aleppo, where all the fighting is going on right now, and then whipping down the Euphrates River right the way down to Babylon. That's the haul they took, 15 years. Anybody want up for that today? An 800-kilometer walk. And by the way, you were walking, you weren't on the horses. So let's understand this. 15-year-old kid 
and these other, and they went. Now, he stood strong. He kept his integrity and faith intact as a teenager. And as we saw last week, he keeps getting promoted after test, after test, after test. And his increase, his influence increased minimally five times. He served and outlast three unbelieving emperors, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Cyrus, and influenced all of them towards God. And at 85 years old, so we came in at 15, and at the end of it, 70 years later, which is how long they were kept there, at 85, he was second in command, only to the emperor in power and influence. So this kid has gotten promoted through the ranks. Now from Daniel's life, we are going to learn the skills for every age and stage of life. And we're going to start through the series looking at the test. There were five tests that Daniel went through in his life. And by the way, these five tests you will encompass and excuse me, you will encounter as well. I just want to begin though by talking from Proverbs 17:3. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up and follow me along. If you haven't, they're on the screen, the scriptures. The Bible talks about tests, and it says this, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. And there's a life principle here that I want you to note, young people especially, and it's this, before every blessing, there is always a testing. And if you're going to be used by God, you will be tested. And God wants you to be ready for what you have in store. So what does he test? God will test your character. He'll test your faith. That's, you know, kind of like, it's easy to walk with God when you're sensing God's presence, but when you don't feel God's presence, you still walk straight when you don't sense that. He'll test your integrity. When you're tempted to cheat, when you're tempted to steal, when you're tempted to lie, to save your hide, he'll test your generosity. And if you pass the test, you'll be promoted. If you don't, you'll go back around this test. Now, Paul links tests and trust in 1 Thessalonians 2.4, he says here, We speak God's message because God tested us and trusted us. There's test and trust. And when we speak, we're not trying to please people. He says, God trusts us with the gospel message that we are not people pleasers. We are not politically correct. We are biblically correct. We are accurate ambassadors of God and His will. We're not pushed around by the world. We're not trying to please people, that verse says, but God who tests our heart. Now, Paul clearly passed the test of not pleasing people, but pleasing God. And likewise, Daniel's character was tested many, many times as he passed tests. And as he did that, God gave him more influence and more insight. Now, it's an interesting fact. I've just been reflecting because as my wife and I do our different devotions, we share a little bit. And 
Kimberly happens to be reading the book of Revelation. And I, of course, am reading the book of Daniel and rereading the book of Daniel. And it's an interesting fact that there are only two people in the whole of Scripture that God trusts with knowledge of the end times. And they are John, who wrote the book of Revelation, and Daniel. Only two guys. And oh, by the way, you will find that Daniel is one of the few people in Scripture there is not one negative thing mentioned about him. Not one. God showed Daniel all kinds of things in history long before they ever happened, like the rise and the fall of the Babylonian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Persian Empire. He even reveals about what, how Alexander the Great will come through. You can read all about that. Alexander the Great, yeah, in Scripture. Mentioned before it happened through Daniel. And what's especially interesting to me is how God showed about when exactly the Messiah would be born. To the year, and when you would die, and when Jerusalem and the second temple. So you can read all about that if you're interested, sidebar, in, in Daniel. So here's the question. Why was Daniel given this message? Because he had passed the test, and he could be trusted. So this leads us to another quick life principle. God tests us with stress before he can trust us with success. God tests us with stress before he can trust us with success. Now, Daniel was promoted five times, and each time it was a test. Today, we're going to look at his first test. And each of these messages in the Standing Strong series will focus on a test that you are going to go through in your life. So this is kind of like how Daniel did it, what you can learn so that when you go through it, you know what to do. You've got a battle plan. Here's the background. God had warned Israel that if they continued to sin in idolatry, that means idolizing things that aren't God. Anything you idolize that isn't God is idolatry. Israel continued in injustice, treating people unfairly and unjustly. And thirdly, Israel were in big trouble for immorality. And he warned them, if you continue in these three areas, you will lose your freedom and you will be in captivity, Jeremiah clearly told it, for 70, it was very specific, not 69, not 71, for exactly 70 years. It's written down, you can read it, before it even happened. This is one of the marks of a supernatural book. And the captives were put through intense training when they were captivated, um, captured. Three years of cultural indoctrination to do three things. Basically, well, two things. To erase their old identity, that they were Jews, and create a new one, that they were secular pagan Babylonians. Now, we're going to, what they were saying is that we want to wipe out your memory of Israel. You don't need the Bible anymore. You don't need your God anymore. We're going to secularize you. We're going to brainwash you. We're going to give you a brand new language. We're going to give you, school you up in new literature and a new culture, new habits, and we're going to give you a new religion and new names. Even your name is going to change. So in Daniel 1.7, you'll see it. The boys were all given new Babylonian names. And you'll see this on this, on this table. Daniel was renamed Belshazzar. Hananiah was renamed Shadrach, Mishael was renamed Meshach, 
And Azariah was named Abednego. Now, all the Hebrew names indicated their true faith in God. But these guys wanted to say, forget them. Forget your true faith in God. We're going to give you heathen God names. So Daniel meant God is my judge. Was renamed Belshazzar, which is Bel, the pagan God, protects me. Imagine being that, being renamed. Some pagan God. Hananiah, which originally meant God is gracious, was renamed Shadrach after some moon god. And Mishael, who, uh, who, which meant who is like God, and clearly nobody is like God, was named Meshach, which is a fertility god. Maybe yeah, that's where you get shacking up, I just thought. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Sorry. I mean, Azariah, God has helped me, that's what it used to mean, was changed to Abednego, and servant of Nebo, which is another pagan god. So see what they've done? They've just changed their godly names for pagan names as part of their brainwashing. Now, they're even given a new diet. And we'll pick this up on Daniel 1, 5 and 8. The king ordered that the young men should eat the same food and wine as served by the king's table. Now, most 15-year-old men were thinking, great, Jacques could be rubbing his hands, lots of food, which is great. And after they would become, to become servants of the king of Babylon. But Daniel, notice this, Daniel resolved not to defile himself by eating the royal wine, excuse me, food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, there's no expense spared here. Clearly, the emperor had big plans for these whippersnippers. Big plans. Educate them, feed them up, get them in top-notch, um, top-notch condition. Yet, and, and as much food as you could want. These guys would lack nothing. No expense spared. Yet, Daniel at 15 resists conforming. 15. What's wrong with this? What's wrong with this food? Well, firstly, there was a health reason. It was heavy on, we call it junk food. Second, there's a cultural and national reason. God gave the Jews very strict dietary laws, reminding them of their uniqueness. You'd know them as kosher laws. And there were many things that were going to be served at that king's table that were forbidden by God. Thirdly, this is a spiritual test to get them to forget God. There's another attempt at cultural brainwashing. Conformity to the culture where they were. These guys were supposed to forget their identity, forget their heritage, and forget their customs. They were saying, in effect, you're not going to be young spiritual Jews anymore. You're going to be secular Babylonians. So Daniel resolved there in that verse that even though he was in a culture that did not follow God's laws, that he would not corrupt himself. Now, Daniel's first test, it shows four qualities that God looks for in your life and in my life. And if you want God to bless you like Daniel did in an increasingly secular culture where not everybody believes like you believe, the first food test revealed Daniel's integrity. It reveals his integrity. He never forgot who he was. He's saying, well, you may change my name and you may change my clothing, 
and even try to change my diet, but I won't let you change my heart. Daniel 1.8 says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. I'm not going to be conformed to the society's values. I am not going to be coerced. Now, the Bible warns us this very clearly. Let's whip over to the New Testament, Romans 12.2. Don't be, so don't conform yourself to the values of this world. Now, notice that. Don't do this. The world and God are at two opposite ends of the scale here. Instead, instead of doing that, let God transform you by a complete change in the way you think and how you think. Then you'll be able to know the will of God. Now, James, the half-brother of Jesus, who I love, his clarity of communication, underlines this principle, and he uses shocking language to graphically describe the spiritual unfaithfulness of the people. And by the way, he intends to jar them into facing their true spiritual condition. He says it like this. Notice. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Like, where have you been? What has captured your thinking? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. Whoa! James is describing these believers as believers as adulterers because they are trying to love God, yet they are having an affair with the world. And they're trying to keep it quiet. The fact that God would express in the strongest terms the importance of faithfulness and standing strong ought to unsettle every one of us. For believers, the world and God are two distinct objects of affection. And they are direct opposites. What is friendship with the world? Well, believers may indeed have a kind of love for God, but they're also infatuated with the benefits of this world system. They worship God, but they want the same living standards or financial security or perhaps some of the freedom that the world offers. Now, these pursuits will only undermine the generosity, the caring, and sharing characteristics that should characterize Christians. Now, like Daniel, you will face two choices in life. You'll either be conformed to the world like everybody else. You'll look the same. You'll smell the same. You'll talk the same. You'll chase what everybody else is chasing. Or you will be transformed by God, by his word, his word, and his spirit. Then, notice, you will know the will of God. Many people say to me, well, I'm so unsure of the will of God. First question is, Are you seeking his purposes first? Or are you chasing? Are you squatting between two two stools? Are you having an affair with the world? 
The Bible says he has given us his very great and precious promises. That's his word in his spirit. So that through them, not just through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in this world caused by evil desires. 2 Peter 1.4. Now the second, secondly, this test reveals Daniel's discipline. It's Daniel's discipline. He controlled his ego and he controlled his appetite. Two things he did here. Very disciplined about this. His ego and his appetite. Daniel 1.8. Daniel made up his mind not to eat the food and the wine given to them by the king. He showed tremendous discipline given. Imagine sitting in front of that table with all those nice things to eat. They look all good. Probably smell all good too. Now, question, if you were a 15-year-old teenager with no parental supervision, in fact, once Daniel left there, Scripture seems to indicate he never saw his parents again. That was it. Gone. But you're offered power and prestige and pleasures. You get the best of everything. You get served in the palace of luxury. In other words, you're the palace pampered pooch. That's who you are and give them preferential treatment. You give them the best education, the most expensive food. Could you turn that down? Daniel, at 15, shows stunning discipline as he effectively says to the most powerful man in the world, Nebuchadnezzar, thanks, but no thanks. I'll serve you because this is where God has clearly brought me, but I am not going to be indebted to you. Neither am I going to be co coerced to conform to what you want. I won't be seduced by fame or fortune, and I am never going to forget that I am not one of you. And that is a word of the Spirit to all of us today. We are passers through. We are just travelers on our way through. This is not our ultimate home. I am different. Daniel's thinking, I am not a pagan, I'm a follower of the true God. And just because I can do something does not mean I should do something. Let me say that again. Just because I can do something doesn't mean I should do. Now, I know adults who have never learned that lesson. Just because you can afford it doesn't mean you should buy it. Daniel demonstrates discipline here that honors God. Romans 6.13 says this. Don't let any part of your body, your head, your mind, your eyes, your hands, your organs, your feet, your ears, never let any part of your body become tools of wickedness used for sinning. Instead, this is the contrast, Give yourself completely to God because you want to be a tool in the hands of God used for his good purposes. So Daniel had integrity. Certainly Daniel had discipline because he wanted to be used by God, not as an instrument of this world. He wanted to be transformed by God, not coerced and conformed to the culture. Third, this test revealed Daniel's courage. His courage is amazing. And friend, you will not get much done in this life without courage. 
That means stepping outside your comfort zone where you are actually quite nervous. Scary. It took great courage for Daniel to ask for, to be exempted from eating his food. Because you could almost be perceived as being ungrateful or insulting that king. You know, kind of like, well, your food's not good enough. It took even more courage to stand alone because most of the Jewish boys saw no problem eating the king's food. What's the problem? Everybody else is doing it. The point is, is the majority is often wrong. Wrong is wrong no matter how many people say it's right. Remember that. Wrong is wrong no matter how many people say it is right. And Daniel goes, I don't care if he's doing it, I'm not. And that's the kind of courage, the kind of thing that God blesses. Exodus 23, 2. Clear about this. It says, never follow the crowd in doing wrong. Never follow the crowd in doing wrong. Don't be swayed in your testimony by the mood of the majority. Boy, is that a word for us today as Christians. How many times have you been in the office... Maybe over the cubicle. And you hear something going on there and they bring into that conversation it's by the water cooler or it's in the lunchroom. And somebody talks, starts talking about some value that you know is flat out wrong. And by the way, it's where we get the definition of right and wrong from always goes back to God because without God there is no right and no wrong. It's just personal preference. And that happens, that conversation comes up around the water cooler in the lunchroom, and you don't say a word about it because you are being manipulated by the moods of the majority, as the scripture says here, because you don't have the courage to speak up. 1 Corinthians 6.13 says this, Stand true, stand strong, stand true to what you believe. Be courageous, be strong. Let me say it one more time in this church. You've heard many of you have been here for a while. Christianity is not for wimps. It is for men and women of great courage and integrity, and increasingly so as the days go by. Men and women of courage in a culture, we need to be, as the culture tends to call right wrong and wrong right. Have you noticed that? They exchange the truth of God for a lie. Scripture talks about that, Romans chapter 1. This test fourthly reveals Daniel's, I love this, often missed in many Christian circles, great value to God. Daniel's fourth test reveals his humility. It reveals his humility. He was tactful with authority. Now, you can have a good opinion and you can have a right opinion, but it's important that you learn how to express that opinion whilst not giving ground. We can learn something from Daniel here. The way that Daniel made his appeal to those in authority shows respect for authority. He'd already accepted that God had clearly allowed a pagan leader to be his boss. And some of you here today have pagan leaders. And some of you actually have bad bosses. But God has allowed them into your life. Some of you are going to have bosses who are going to ask you to do things which are dishonest or at least shady. And you've got to know what to do in that situation. Let's pick it up. Daniel chapter 1, verse, or take 1 and 18 through 19. 
Then Daniel asked the chief official for permission. He asked for permission. He didn't demand from Ashpenaz, which happens to be the guy's name, he didn't rebel, he didn't say, I demand my rights and stamp his feet. He asked for permission to eat other things instead, Scripture says. Now, God had given the chief official great respect for Mr. Daniel. But he said, I'm afraid of my lord the king who ordered that you eat his food and wine. And if you aren't as healthy as all the others, I fear the king will have me beheaded. Now that is a legitimate concern. So next, Daniel talked it over. So that appeal doesn't seem to have gone well. He registered it. The guy had respect for him. So that didn't work. So now he steps it down a level. He talked it over again. It, wasn't a, it was a discussion, not a demand. Notice the approach. With the guard appointed to look after Daniel and his three friends. So Daniel offered the suggestion. Just test us for 10 days. On a diet of veggies and water. By the way, this isn't a, um, a plug for vegetarianism. That's a whole other subject. Then see how healthy we look compared to the other young men eating the king's food. Then you decide. Whether or not, till it's continued. See, there's no strong arm in the guy here. So the attendant agreed to try Daniel's suggestion. And at the end of 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked healthier and better and nourished than any of the others in the king's training program. So after that, the king let them eat their own food. Now, when the three-year training program was completed, all the young men were brought to King Nebuchadnezzar, who talked to each one individually. This is like the job interview of all job interviews. None impressed the king as much as Daniel and his three friends. So they were each promoted to positions in the king's service. This is the first of Daniel's five promotions in this foreign land, in this hostile culture. But Daniel never, notice, gives up his integrity in an ungodly secular culture. And he's not just surviving, he's thriving and growing in influence. And at this point in time, how old is he? 18, 15 plus 3 is 18. He's 18 years old, this kid. Now, what do you do when somebody in authority asks you to do something that's going to violate your conscience? What do you do when somebody asks you to do something that you know is wrong? What do you do when somebody, when somebody tries to coerce you into doing something that you know God has said, uh-uh, no? Well, first step is you respectfully ask for reconsideration like Daniel. And there are many examples of this like in the, in the Bible. Somebody like who? Maybe Queen Esther. Very strong example from a female point of view. Joseph, when he stood up to Pharaoh, he had the courage of his godly convictions in him. How about Paul and the Roman officials of his day, Felix and Festus and all those guys? He stood up, man. So this next section, I want to look at how to make a case to an authority. And you're going to need this someday. Kids, you might need to use this on your parents. 
is to take good notes. <laughs> they have the authority in your life at the moment. You may need to use this as it goes on. As our society gets more and more secular and anti-Christian, people need to know how to make an appeal to an authority. Before you ever make an appeal to your employer or anybody else, the first thing you've got to do, like Daniel did, is you have to develop a good reputation. You have to develop a reputation for being responsible. Did you notice the chief officer had great respect for Daniel? Evidently, even as a 15-year-old, Daniel stood out with his good attitude and his good execution on the task he was given. He was responsible, the consistency of it, and his other character qualities. Let me show you a verse here on the screen. Proverbs 22, 29. If you do your job well, leaders will notice, and you will serve before kings. Christians in the marketplace ought to be the ones with the very best reputation. If you are a teacher, the best teachers. If you're a salesman, right up there performing well, not com compromising your ethics, but delivering profit for your company. Whatever it is. They should be the hardest workers, the most responsible employees. Compare that to people showing up late for work. When they're at work, but the work on the screen, Facebook hidden behind the other. But they're texting under the table or under the papers. Long lunch hours. Helping themselves to company resources. Playing solitaire and generally a, a general slacker. Now you compare that. That's not what Daniel was like. Because if you need to make a stand because you are a Christian and you've developed a reputation as being a responsible person, then they are more likely to listen. So the starting point is having a good track record. Secondly, you need to be humble and patient, not belligerent. You need to be humble, not belligerent. Daniel never made a demand. He had a discussion. Here's the point. Attitude influences reception and acceptance. Remember that, young folks. Remember that as you approach anybody in authority, attitude affects and influences reception and acceptance. Proverbs 25, 6 says this on the screen. When you stand before the king, don't try to impress him and pretend to be important, blowing your own trumpet. I've always told my kids this one phrase. Be humble lest you stumble. Be humble. Because God gives grace to the humble, but he's opposed to the proud. I don't want to be against God ever. The one of the best ways to do that is be humble. Develop a reputation for being responsible and be humble, not belligerent. Thirdly, don't be deceptive or manipulative. If you have a case to make with your boss or the government, say it plainly, especially when they're asking you to go against your Christian beliefs. You can say something like, I'm sorry, I can't do this. 
It's against my conscience and it violates my beliefs. Don't lie while you can't do it or make up some concocted story or try to strengthen it by being manipulative or deceitful. God will not honor that. On the other hand, 2 Corinthians 4 says, we reject all shameful and underhanded methods. This is a principle. We don't try to trick anyone. And we do not distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest know that. In other words, a yes is yes and a no is no. So God honors your honesty. He will always honor honesty. He does not honor dishonesty. Number four, appeal, and a lot of people forget this, to their goals and interests. You start with what they want, not with what you want. Daniel was smart. Remember what he did here. You've got to read it carefully. When you read the scriptures, read it slowly. I find that way it sinks in more to my brain and my heart. Daniel says, effectively, I want to be as healthy as you want to be. Actually, I want to be more healthy. Same goal. But tell you what, you want to do it this way. Can we just talk about this? I agree with the goal. Would you entertain the idea of perhaps doing it this way? See how he did that? How about a 10-day test? I'm not talking about forever. Let's just try it. Let's experiment. And then, he gives it back to them, then you decide. See how smart this guy was? How wise he was at that young age? And if it were to ever win-win. Number five, choose the right time and the right place and the right words. Words are important. Very important. The best place, by the way, whenever you have an appeal to make is privately. When the people that you're making the appeal to aren't put on the spot. Teenagers, remember this with your parents. Don't do that in front of their friend. Hey, mum, can we do it? The probably answer is no, because they're so ticked off you put them on the spot. And by the way, you don't get authorities to change by confronting them publicly and grandstanding on courthouse steps. Jesus even said, he said, before you even get there, you go try and sort it out. Because once you go in there, you're in trouble. And it's a lottery sometimes, depending upon the judge that you get. Proverbs 16, 21. Very important scripture. A wise, mature person is known for his understanding. The more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. Look at that last part again. The more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. Another great phrase to remember is I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. I am never persuasive when I'm abrasive. In other words, you don't build yourself up by tearing everybody else down. Number six. And lastly, trust God even if they reject your appeal. In this case, Daniel's appeal worked, but it doesn't always. If your appeal doesn't work and you've appealed to your boss following those guidelines, especially your humility, then in that case you need to hold on to Romans 8.28. You're standing up for the right thing, then you remember that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purposes. Remember, that promise is not for everybody. It's for those who are Christian and standing out for what's right. Not everything in this world is good. In fact, it's actually bad, a lot of things. This world is broken. It's corrupted. It's like having corrupt data on your, on your hard drive. It has vestiges of good, but it's corrupt. It's unreliable. 
God is reliable. The world is fickle. There are bad leaders, bad laws, bad policies, but God can even use them. Daniel did all the right things to maximize his chance, and he won as a result, and he got an exemption. But remember again, this kid was 15 years old when he was challenging the most powerful leader in the world. Where did he get that kind of grace? Where did he get that kind of wisdom? Where did he get that kind of discipline? What gave Daniel the courage to stand alone as we wrap this up? And not to conform to the values of his society. Well, Daniel lived, firstly, in a close relationship with God. He walked with God. He sensed God's presence. He knew his promises. He really knew the word of God. He sensed his power, God's people, and he had God's protection. So four things to remember when you're pressured to conform, when you have to make a moral stand, when you feel like I'm all alone on this. Nobody else believes like I believe. I'm out here on a limb, and my boss or somebody's asking me to do something. Maybe it's my boyfriend asking me to do something I know is not right. Write these down. It's on the screen. Number one, I have Jesus with me. See, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So you're never really completely alone. Second thing is, I have the Holy Spirit in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Thirdly, I have the promises of God to me. Remember, his very great and precious, uh, precious promises. So that you may es- participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in this world. You need those promises of God and to be familiar with them. If I asked you to name 15 of them, could you? It's like somebody says, I've got a gun but no bullets. You need to know where your ammo is. The promises of God. And fourthly, I have God's family around me, brothers and sisters praying for you. That's why you need to be a member of a church and a small group. Evidently, to me, as I look at this now standing back, Daniel's parents did a stunning job in building stellar character in his life. Because here's the evidence of this. When he was separated from his parents, he didn't fall. He didn't fall apart. And that's a challenge to some of us as adults. Maybe for you, the most significant thing you could do in your life is to start making some time to further invest in the next generation. I know for me as a young man, I was so blessed to have Sunday school teachers and youth group leaders that God used to totally redirect my life 180 degrees. And we have children and students in this church alone, some of them who don't have both parents living at home, who need loving support. If you don't make the time, who will? If you'd like to learn more about some of those opportunities and investing in young people's lives, just write us on the communication card. Just put young people. And friends, Daniel excelled without compromising his convictions, this young man. This message is desperately needed today, not just for kids, but for all ages. Because as the culture becomes more and more secular, more and more hostile to people of faith and biblical values, You can expect pressure to conform and coercion to conform, to increase. So I want to end with some clear advice 
from St. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. And this is, kind of, this is the message paraphrase. By the way, the message is a paraphrase. Good to get the general gist. If you want to study, I recommend NIV or ESV. But this still sums up the courage and the character of Daniel. Look what he says. Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not a partnership, that's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust whole hands? Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? But that's exactly what we are. Each of us are a temple in whom God lives. God himself put it this way. I live in them. I move in them. I will be their God and they'll be my people. So leave corruption and compromise. I'll be like a father to you and you'll be my sons and daughters. With promises like this, dear friends, let's make a clean break with everything that defiles or, circle this next word, distracts us both within and without. Let's make our entire lives fit and holy temples for the worship of God. Let's bow our heads. Friends, God is looking for men and women who are unafraid of challenging our culture. Men and women who are unafraid of the disapproval of others because their relationship with Jesus is so strong, his love casts out all fear. God is looking for modern-day Daniels and Daniellas. Men and women who have conviction and character, rather than compromise and caving into culture, Instead of being coerced and conforming, they've been transformed by God. This is my challenge to you. Regardless of what has happened in the past, your past is your past, it's over. You cannot change that. What matters as of this moment forward is the direction of your feet going forward. Will you have the courage to be a Daniel or a Daniela? As a man of God, as a woman of God, will you be and have that courage to stand up for your convictions where you live, where you go to school, on that university campus, on that job site, in that office? You might just pray, God, I want to stand up like that. I want to be a person of integrity and humility and generosity. I need your help, Holy Spirit, to bring an extra level of discipline in my life and courage. But Lord, I want your blessing on my life more than I want anything else. Far more than I want the approval of this culture. And I'm willing to stand unafraid and unashamed God, you have told us what to do. 
Now give us the courage by the power of your spirit and in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And everybody said, Amen.